This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sheila Shoigev, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognize, others you might not. But my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. This week, I speak to Professor Roseanne Kenny about aging. People who perceive themselves to be younger than their chronological age, independent of anything else, independent of whatever disorders they had, be it arthritis, heart, it doesn't matter. Hmm. Independent of all of that, you actually function at a more youthful age. We all age, but why do some of us live longer than others? Why do we live twice as long today as our ancestors did 200 years ago? And what does the latest science teach us that'll help us not only to live longer lives, but also to live fitter, healthier and happier lives deep into our later years? Professor Kenny is the founding principal investigator of Ireland's largest adult population study on the experience of ageing in Ireland, the Irish Longitudinal Study on Ageing, known as TILDA, now in its 12th year of data collection. And I started our conversation by asking her the obvious question, how do we live longer, healthier lives? Although we're living longer, the actual time we spend with some level of, in, 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 I suppose, medical terms, we call it disability. That means arthritis or heart disease or even dementia. That, that duration hasn't changed. We still spend one-fifth of our lifespan with some level of disability. So our aim mm. is to pull together all of the evidence base that's out there, both from the TILDA study, the Irish study, and our sister studies worldwide, and any other sources to see what's the evidence for how 
we as individuals or as a society can reduce the period of time we spend in ill health or mm. in disability so that we do have a longer, healthier yes. lifespan. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's about. Yeah. And you live and breathe your own work. You've spent 35 years researching. researching. And this is not just, this is my research and this is my life. You've re- very much incorporated what you've learned into your own life. <laughs> I have as I've learned. Yeah. And I'm as vulnerable as anybody else to sure. troughs and peaks, um, of course. Uh, I I, I kind of think that a reasonable rule for any of us to live by is an 80-20. If we get it sure. really right 80% of the time, then there'll be 20% of the time when we slip. And that's okay. Perfection is almost impossible mm. for us as a human species. And it's particularly impossible the longer we try, you know, throughout the lifespan. And that's one of the other things that we talk about in the book. It's, you know, the earlier you start, the better. Like, I hope 20-year-olds are listening to this because what I'm saying relates to them. And it doesn't just relate to their preparation for when they're 60, 70, 80, 90. It relates to them now, mm-hmm. to better health now. But of course, it also prepares them for the future. So I, the earlier, the better. But you know, the great thing is it's never too late. Yeah. And that's true for introducing diet. And it's true for introducing physical interactions, Mm. physical activity, physical exercise. And it's true for social connections or even having a purpose or all of the other things we know affect us biologically. Let's talk about that, because as you said, this is a this is a podcast for anyone of any age. Mm. We're all going to get something out of this. Mm. But you've carried out, again, lots of studies on the 20 year olds, the 60 year olds, the 80 year olds in terms of implementing change and what that can add to your life expectancy, which is quite fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, it is. I mean, that I think that's the most exciting piece about the work is that aspects of our lives that we intuitively know are kind of good for us, like hmm. having friendships, you know, night out with friends, you feel good the next day. But so how how can that be from a biological perspective? What's going on in your cells that make you feel good? And that's what the discovery has been in the last couple of decades that I think is the most exciting. Things like friendship actually impact on what we call the hallmarks of aging within a cell, the different pathways and networks in a cell that are the function of that cell are positively influenced by being happy, having possible, having a, a friendly discussion with mm. somebody by laughing, yes. by having laughter, yeah. by um, a, a positive attitude. There, there are loads of studies out there to show that if you if you take a positive approach to life and you believe in yourself and you have a positive attitude towards aging, you know, you feel younger than your chronological age, you actually independent of all other confounders are biologically younger. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I think that's remarkable. Sure. And and the fact that we've actually been able to track that back um, from a physiological perspective is is fascinating. In our 20s, we feel invincible. You know, we can have the, the burgers and chips, we can have the late nights and we feel like we can go on forever. But what we do in our 20s impacts our later years and all the rest. So if you make changes in your 20s, what are you doing in terms of adding those all important years? So so to kind of drill down into some hard science on this, there's a very recent paper in the context of diet. 
and uh, from the University of Bergen just a few weeks ago. What they did was they took meta-analysis, so all of the studies that were relevant with respect to good diet, okay? And probably the best diet is the Mediterranean diet. There's no doubt about that. That's been shown time and time again. So say, take a, a good Mediterranean diet, vegetables, lentils, beans, nuts, um, not a lot of red meat, very mm. little red meat, and low in sugar, low in salt, and low in processed foods. And the odd glass of wine. The odd glass of wine is not excluded at all from this yeah. diet. Um, um, plenty of water. Um, so, so if you take that diet hmm. and, and call that the optimum diet, and then you take our Western diet, which is what we eat, the burgers you're talking about, and the processed foods. I mean, mm -hmm. we don't infrequently not nip into a supermarket and get something that's ready-made. But actually, if you read what's behind what looks like mashed potatoes and minced meat, you will see that there are a whole load of additives and other things, lots of salt, even sugar. So so if we take a, a, a Western diet has been the, uh, the what we have now, the optimum being the Mediterranean, and then they did a, what I'm talking about, the 80-20, a kind of feasibility diet. What if you got it right 80% of the time? And then they modeled, using all of the av available evidence, what that would do to lifespan at age 20. Mm -hmm. And they showed that if you could keep to the optimum diet, you nearly added 12 years to your life expectancy oh, at wow. 20. That's remarkable. It is, yeah. And, and you even added 9.9 .9 or 10 years if you did the feasibility diet, okay? The odd mm -hmm. blip. Then they looked at 40 and they found that you still extended it by something like five and six at 60, three and four, and even at age 80, if you'd eaten a Western diet and you introduced the optimum diet, you almost added at age 80 another two years to your lifespan. So it's never too late. That's my point. It's never too never late. Too and we late. know this from exercise, from yeah. physical activity. Mm. No matter what age you introduce exercise um, regimes uh, that are new to your body, it has a positive benefit. I'm also really fascinated by what you said there about your biological age versus your chronological age. And I'm not sure where, what you would think of somebody like me. So I am nearly 43. I've always been very open about my age. I, I don't fear it. I, I kind of embrace it. I sometimes and often don't feel my age though, but I have no problem in saying what it is. But what age do you feel? Well, I mean, as a mother now of two kids and I have a, a baby girl of four months, I, I feel 103, but... No, 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 really. No, no, what honestly, age do you feel? I probably feel in my 30s. Yeah, that's it. So that's your... Biological age, okay. probably. Okay, okay. So that is hugely important. Mm -hmm. Even in the Tilda study with a girl called Dada Robertson who was doing her PhD with us at that time, that's exactly what we looked at. You know, are you, the, the questions around your perceptions of how you're aging. Yeah. And then we, we measure so many different factors that we were able to adjust for all of those and just look at that one thing, how you perceive yourself aging yeah. and your physical aging in subsequent years, because we've been following people for 12 years, mm. and your mental aging, your cognitive aging, memory, concentration, planning ability, etc. People who perceive themselves to be younger than their chronological age, independent of anything else, independent of whatever disorders they had, be it arthritis, heart, it doesn't matter. Mm. Independent of all of that, you actually function 
at a more youthful age. And it starts early. Mm. In the Dunedin study, which have been following their participants since they were born, mm. a thousand babies born in the one year, they're now in their late 40s. When they were age 38, they were able to measure what I'm talking about, mm. biological age, by looking at epigenetic clocks, which are kind of the little biological clock in all of our cells that tell us how old that cell actually is, okay? Mm. And they, they took people aged, all of them were the same age, 30 38, but biologically, their ages ranged from 28 to almost 50, even though they were all well, 38. And then, of course, they were able to say, well, why? These kids are all 38 only. What is it that's influencing their biology that's accelerating the aging process? And it, it, it pretty much was adverse childhood experiences, poverty in the home, mm. poor education, mm. starting to smoke early, excessive drinking, taking drugs, depression, etc. So they weren't surprising things, but they really emphasise how, how important the early years are at embedding our life course experience. Now, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was, I suppose the part that genetics play on all of this because my own grandmother is 102 and thankfully hale and hearty but and people say oh you know you know that that bodes well for you but actually mm-hmm. it only makes up for 20 percent mm, maybe 30 but probably 20 which is in, in, in its own way is reassuring because yes. it's, it's it, we have a lot that we can control absolutely i completely chime with that uh, isn't it great that there's 70 to 80% of our aging process we can control? Mm. And so for people who've got a really bad history, that gives them great solace. Yes. So, yes, there is that much that we can control, but there's an onus on us, therefore, to control it. It, it doesn't entirely fall true in that if you make it to 80, generally speaking, the impact of genes is a little bit stronger okay. than, than in younger years. But up until the age of 80, it's 20, maybe 30%. Right. Let's talk about the things we can do. Yeah. Um, you've already mentioned the importance of what we put into our bodies and movement. Um, but there's also a window in which we eat that if we implement this can have huge benefits to our lives. This has actually become really popular recently amongst all age groups, and that's calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I, I go back to one fundamental um, um, animal experiment that I really like in mice where uh, two groups of mice, same age, were given same amount of food. One was allowed to eat away over a 24-hour period. The other was confined to an eight-hour period. And the mice that were confined to the eight-hour period didn't get obese, whereas the others did. And they were pretty much matched in all other ways. That's just a nice example of how much it matters. Our- this, is, is this, is, uh, this sounds groundbreaking to me. You know, because we, we hear yeah. all the time that, okay, you know, it doesn't matter when you eat, it's about the calories that you eat. But you're basically saying that's not the case. I think, I think there's pretty out. good evidence that, okay. well, certainly, you see, we're very much governed by our circadian clock. So that tells us when to wake up, mm-hmm. light in the morning. It kind of governs our day, um, including our eating patterns and when we go to bed. So so, so it, it, chiming with that clock is rhythm. Yes. And chiming with that clock are fixed periods when the body expects to get input. If you think how we've evolved, we have evolved as hunter gatherers. So we're used to having periods during our evolution when we're hungry, Mm. when we don't have food. And then when we get food, we take in as much as we can. 
Nowadays, we don't have the former challenge. Mm -hmm. So if we want to take in as much as we can, we can do it 24 seven. That's not how we've evolved. So it's much better that we restrict and we restrict our timing now. and, And we kind of tease our body with the way it's evolved with periods of food restriction. That's what it's used to mm-hmm. um, in, in an evolutionary sense. Now, there's loads of different ones, and I don't actually recommend any single one because it depends on the individual. Some people, I, I run a blackout clinic in my clinical time, mm. and, and I see a lot of people who absolutely cannot fast. They become fra- weak yes. if, if they fast. So for those, definitely the... Um, 18 hour fast or 16 hour fast is 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 no good mm-hmm. you know where where they don't have breakfast they need a breakfast in the morning and a lunch but there's no reason why that core people can't re- re- still remain within an 8 hour window when eating no yeah, reason okay. at all so eat early in the day and eat then early in the day. wrap up early and then there's different clocks so there's 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 a clock where you might just start at 1 o'clock and you eat within a 6 or 8 hour window after 1 o'clock and this is what you do I like this one yeah, yeah I like that works one. for you I do have a coffee um, you're allowed to have coffee <laughs> um, then, then there's alter- maybe one day a week you fast mm. maybe maybe two out of seven days you fast you just take six or eight hundred calories in something like that there's a whole load of different ones and indivi- I've mentioned them all in the book but individuals need to pick what they want the point is to convert our energy source to ketones from using glucose and sugar all of the time and storing it as glycogen and that 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 increases the amount of white fat in the body and white fat's not good mm. so the whole point is you know that ketotic feeling where you feel like you you need you need to eat a bit you know that mm-hmm. sometimes as a scent off the breath that's ketotic that's what we mean by ketotic so you need to kind of feel that level of hmm i need something to eat and then you know it's being effective okay okay so you just become more in tune with your own body and learn which kind of rhythm will work for you which of those diets are they're not really diets it's just calorie restriction it's just sensible eating and calorie restriction if you can couple that with the optimum diet that's really important You'll be flying it. You'll be living well into your hundreds. Um, Okay, you mentioned it as well before, the importance of connection, being with people, laughter. And I couldn't help but think, wow, what we've all been through in the past Hmm. two years with COVID. And yes, we had the Zoom parties. Maybe we didn't all have that, but it was difficult to connect because we were told to stay at home and isolate. And I would imagine that had, uh, you know, I'm not trying to bring the mood of the conversation down because I think this is hugely uplifting, but it has been a difficult time. Yeah, I think we're only, I think we're only realising the impact of COVID now. At least I am when I reflect back on it. It was massive. We we did do a tilde a wave of collection during COVID actually. Mm. And we had just done one just before COVID. And we were able to compare an awful lot of factors and just two things loneliness increased threefold three times more common during Mm. COVID than it was before and people over the age of 50 this was Um, and loneliness is terribly bad for us we're gregarious animals we need people we need engagement and just a lot of the policies through no fault of anybody and people were trying to do their best but a whole lot of the initiatives the policies the attitudes 
were very isolationist and very prone to to making people lonely. Mm. I remember um, being told by friends or even patients at the time how they'd seen somebody who was living on their own and how they couldn't believe how much they had failed over the last number of months, say, yeah. for example, during COVID, when they were on their own. And, and that actually is a graphic illustration of how detrimental so, social isolation and loneliness is to a human. Um, and I, I noticed it myself with, with, with patients and with people. They involuted, they fr they became frail mm. during COVID. Um, and that was simply because lack of lack of engagement. Then for some, it became really difficult to engage again. So on a positive note, what do we need to know? We know how bad this is for us as human beings. All of us know someone, I think, that we can reach out to. So that's number one, just yeah. to make a bit of an extra effort. Lots of people are finding it difficult to get back into any sort of rhythm of engagement. And they've lost friends as well. Don't forget that. And family. Yeah. Some under dreadful circumstances when they weren't able to visit them in hospital and then they got in for a period of time before they died. I mean, I think that will live with people for a very long time. It's not something they'll get over very easily. So I, I, I suppose as far as possible, Let's reach out yeah. at an individual level. But wouldn't it be great as a society if we started to embrace how important this issue is? Mm -hmm. we're, we're actually becoming much more isolationist in everything. Yeah. Technology is taking over so much that we're not encouraged to face to face anymore. Yeah. We're not we're not encouraged to be in gatherings and and people are ashamed. You know, mental mental illness, I, thankfully, um, has come to the fore. It's much more acceptable to talk about it now, to recognize it, to say you're lonely, to say you don't have friends is 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 really, I don't think, an easy thing for someone to do. No. It's not as socially acceptable, unfortunately. So at a societal level, it would be great if we were to embrace that and say, OK, as an Irish society, we're going to do something about that. Now, I don't know what, I don't have any magic solution. Mm. Talking cafes, you know, places like that, which encourage people to get together, uh, ensuring that, that everybody in a community has a menu of options or choices of things that are happening that they can engage with, something like that. We're, we don't do a lot of that. To do that more and in a more proactive way would be a wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm imagining that a lot of people are probably like me, thinking of people they know that perhaps are a bit lonely. It might be you yourself, because even if we are living with people, you can still experience loneliness. And as you said, it's it's a very difficult thing to admit because it's it's probably you're making yourself so utterly vulnerable mm -hmm. by saying that. But I think the realization that a lot of people experience loneliness, that it's far more common than we realize. Mm. Um, but also not just the importance of living longer, but as you said, the key to all of this is living happier, healthier lives. And you mentioned it as well, the impact of dementia, of just going downhill, I suppose, and the importance of engagement, of that sense of community, sense of tribe, you know, being together, talking, laughing, um, games, that kind of thing. Can we talk about what you would encourage people to do in terms of their cognitive um, health and well-being? Yeah. First of all, I've uh, uh, again 
uh, I think I love this little piece of science where um, a colleague in uh, University of Chicago did some work from a longitudinal study where he looked at the brains of, of some of the participants in the study after they'd passed away, of course. Mm. And um, he, he took brains that had exactly the same neuropathology. So when he looked at them under the microscope, they had the same amount of, we all get a bit of dementia pathology, believe it or not, okay. um, as we get older, everybody does. But it doesn't manifest as dementia in everybody. So he took that dementia pathology and in, uh, 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 say, 10, 12 brains, six of them had had no evidence of dementia in, in life. And six of them had clearly been clinically demented in life. Okay. There was no difference in the density of pathology in the brains. What was different was the six that hadn't manifested had had a whole lot of social engagement and activity and friendship. Wow. They lived in a household. They were constantly being stimulated um, compared to the others. Mm. So. The most important thing for brain function as we get older is variety and stimulation, yeah. whatever it comes from. Variety and stimulation and not to feel loneliness, you know. So. And that's not sitting in front of the telly. No, it's whatever, whatever. You, I mean, sometimes, well, okay, laughter is really good and sometimes we get laughter from sitting in front of a television, okay. frankly, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's the more, the more we, we, we've, we t- t- television and technology are very new to us. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, we haven't mm. evolved with that. We've evolved with social engagement. Yeah. We've evolved with facial cues. We've evolved with body language. Mm. You know, that's what we understand and that's how we best communicate is face to face with somebody mm. where possible. So, but but variety is the other thing. So variety, it doesn't matter what variety. Yes, crosswords work. Yes, dancing works. Yes, bridge works. Yes, sports work. You know, um, and the more you can do that involves doing it with other people, the better. Okay. But to keep the mind and body active, it's the Keeping the body active is also good for the brain because there's a good cross linkage across the blood brain barrier of beneficial um, proteins. Uh, so, so mind active, brain active, both the same thing. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
and the studies you carried out on the blue zones in the world those is it five areas in the world where yeah. people have proven to live longest yeah. that sense of tribe and community is something that is is linking all of them it's huge now if you if you t- if you again get a picture in your mind of what most of those zones are like i mean mm. think of um, icaria and greece or sardinia you know they're they're by the sea they're up on a height but the houses are all built up and the houses are nearly one on top of the other mm-hmm. and many generations living in one house so if you go down one of those little narrow roads you know there's loads of people going down those little narrow roads you can see into everybody's kitchen mm-hmm. so you're not I Isolated when you go into your own home. You're part of a community. I've often thought, actually, that when I pass different communities in in Ireland, even in Dublin, you know, that the so-called D4, D6 areas with the houses set back from the road and and on their own, etc., are are very isolated looking Mm. compared to much smaller communities where there's an awful lot of activity on the road. Houses are small, terraced together, but there's a whole lot of activity all the time happening around you. And I don't know, I think in terms of our geopolitics, we need to think about the importance of community when we're developing areas. Uh, there's a lot of loneliness amongst young mothers, for example, mm. who aren't working, mm-hmm. who are in housing estates. The housing estate empties of working people all day. They can very often be on their own with just young kids. So yeah. loneliness is pervasive. And yes. I'm sorry to keep going on about loneliness, but it's yeah. part of the variety and it's part of laughter and it's part of having a purpose in life. It's key to share with others. There's a great experiment actually showing how important sharing is. Um, it mm. was done in in University of California, and the uh, psychology students, two groups of students, they were both told, "Okay, you're going to do a debate," um, and before and after the the debate, they measured different neurohumoral factors. That's uh, blood pressure, heart rate, skin stimulation, factors that we know involve the nervous system that's 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 involved in, in thinking process, the mm. autonomic nervous system, and hormones that are involved in stress. So they did them at baseline, said, you guys are going to do a debate, and then they did it after the d- debate, but they divided the class into two halves. The first half was allowed to share what they were going to say in the debate and share their ideas with each other, the second class had to work alone. And then they gave their debate and then they repeated all of those stress markers, the nerve and the hormone stress markers. The group who had shared had far lower stress markers after debating Mm. than the group who had managed it on their own. So a problem shared is a problem halved. So remember that, you know, it is good to share it, even with someone that you don't expect to get an awful lot of feedback from. The very fact that you've voiced it and you've shared it helps you. Yeah. We hear a lot about people being an extroverted personality type or an introverted personality type. But essentially, when it comes down to it, as humans, we don't do well on our own. Fully. No, because we're gregarious animals, as Mm. I say, you know, um, lovely stories that that I I cite some of them in the book about baboons. Mm. There was a a, a notorious baboon called Sylvia in Botswana and she lorded it over all of the others and she had one daughter and, you know, she'd swipe at them and she was was a nasty piece of work but happy in her nastiness. Then her daughter was killed and her her behaviours changed Mm -hmm. to helping to groom other baboons and their children and helping to look after them. And it just emphasises 
is how much at all levels we need other people. Um, and she yeah. realized that she had what she needed in her daughter. But when her daughter was no longer there, she had to find alternatives because of her innate nature. Yes, yes. Fascinating. Um, obviously, we're talking about all the things that we can do. And sleep is one of those that thankfully there's a lot of focus on, especially in recent years and the importance of it. Something I'm probably not getting a huge amount of personally myself, but I know it is a phase right now. Um, but it's really important, isn't it, to get the proper mm. quality sleep? Yeah, sleep is important. Now, I'm hesitant even to say that because, you know, people will be listening to think this saying that's all very well but I've tried everything etc because you know many people don't sleep well many people do have issues with sleeping what can we do I suppose first of all to be aware um, napping isn't a bad thing it might work for some people so don't be afraid to nap know, know your napping time try not to nap after three o'clock if possible because it'll interfere with your longer sleep that night um, sleeping tablets well, maybe occasionally it's it's okay to kind of get you a good night's sleep. It doesn't really get you a good night's sleep, though, because it's not a natural night's mm, sleep. Mm. There are foods which are um, not great for sleep. They interfere with sleep. Caffeine, they have and... caffeine and tyramine in them. Mm. So any anything spicy, some of the blue cheeses, Chianti wines, Italian Chianti wines, particularly high in tyramine, etc. So right, it's a okay. list of foods that I've cited which which um, which which interfere with sleep that people mightn't be aware of. And then, and then there are foods which are good for sleep. Lovely study on men, where men were given um, salmon three nights a week um, to eat, and their sleeping patterns were significantly better. So omega oils work, and oily fish work. And fish okay. in general probably work. Yeah. And there are lots of other things that have tryptophan or apigenin in them, which which are helpful. Chamomile tea has apigenin and it does help. And are these supplements you could you could pick up if you needed to? Yeah, well? you can pick them up as supplements. Supplements are interesting. Supplements mm. are interesting. There's a huge market in supplements in the USA. The in the actual evidence for supplements, apart from vitamin D and mm-hmm. omega oils and maybe C are, is very poor. Like right. there isn't really evidence for vitamin E, for example, and yet how many people take vitamin E supplements? And it's probably because there are so many different isoforms or types of vitamin E. Maybe the supplements just don't get the one that in the different dietary forms does definitely have a positive benefit. So the message there is insofar as possible to take all of those so-called supplements that we know about about from foods, from natural foods, if possible. Now you mentioned wine there, certain county wines, yeah. maybe not so great for your sleep. But you also mentioned earlier that hmm. the odd glass of wine is OK. Yeah, the, 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 I think if you have a rule whereby you never have a drink unless you're having it with somebody else. Okay, like that, yeah. Mm. So again, that's the engagement. That's, that's engagement. The, that's the yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a good thing. Now, okay. people will again be listening to say, oh, I have my glass of whiskey at night and it does me fine. Thank you very much. That's okay. Horses for courses. Actually, alcohol does interfere with sleep patterns. And mm. it's, yes, you get off maybe to sleep more easily, but it interferes with the balance between rapid eye movement and non-rapid eye movement sleep. And we need that synchrony and balance. Okay, let's talk about movement and the importance of incorporating more exercise as we age rather than less. Yes, I, I have a little rule, if possible, to, to, to do more after the age of 50 each okay. year, year on year, rather than less. 
Um, now it may be that you would walk a little bit longer or whatever, whatever exercise you find works for you. Um, it is important also because we lose muscle mass after the age of 40, mm -hmm. nearly 1% per year. It's important to do resistance exercises or something to build muscle. So it isn't sufficient to do aerobic exercise. And yeah. yoga is great because yoga couples meditation with exercise. So it's, it's good. Um, and, and again, yeah, meditation and mindfulness itself is very good. Yes. So don't be afraid to pick up the, the dumbbells with maybe obviously some help because you can do yourself an injury. <laughs> I've just put my uh, just prolapsed one of my disc doing it excessively. So, okay. yes, you can do yourself an injury yeah, with yeah, care. Yeah, yeah mm. with care. Um, and as you said, practices like yoga are great because it's not just about looking at the physical body, but it's also you know, taking into account what your state of mind is. Yeah. And all of those things are, are so intertwined and again, are so important. Pilates is wonderful. And, 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 and practice your own balance. Our balance goes off as we get older. Three mm. things control our balance. Our eyes, a thing called proprioception, which is sensors in our joints and at the bottom of our feet and our vestibular system in the ears, which connect with the brain. And as we get older, we become more reliant on our visual input to balance and we both proprioception and the vestibular system declines. But we have to keep exercising the vestibular system. Mm. So stand on one leg for 30 seconds, each leg uh, with your eyes open and then try and stand with your eyes closed for 10 seconds. Say when you're washing your teeth or you're at the sink doing dishes, just do it couple of times a day to train your balance. Really important. It reduces falls and falls are one of the big thing um, as, as we get older that we're much more prone to. I mean, our data has shown, I mean, it's quite unbelievable how, how the prevalence of falls increases after the age of 45, around the menopause actually, okay. for women and after about 50 with men. You know, our, our fall rates increase such that it's one to two falls a year becomes much more common. Whereas prior to that, it was uncommon. Okay. And in terms of, of being active, yeah. ideally, you know, get up, move. A lot of us are on laptops, on computers all day long, particularly, you know, people working from home during COVID times. You got to get up and you got to move. So, so this is good for brain blood flow. Okay. To stand up every 45 minutes. Because otherwise the flow to the brain isn't as good and you'll find your concentration and memory and stuff isn't as good if you've, if you've sat for a four hour period. This applies to every age. So... 45 minutes sitting, stand up. Even if you just stand up, but preferably stand up, walk around a bit and sit down again, you'll function better. Mm. Okay, let's talk about sex because it's something that also is massively important in terms of feeling good in your body. And obviously, again, mm. if you feel good in your body, you're probably going to extend your life expectancy. My kids hate when I, well, they used to hate, they've become used to it now, they're more mature. When I start talking about this <laughs> uh, at, the, at the dinner table, because it fascinated me. I have a great friend in Chicago who made this her life's work, Stacey right. Landau. Um, and she was the first to kind of really, she's a gynecologist, but got interested in gynecology and aging. And, and, and um, she was the first to really kind of introduce this whole topic and how important it was. And then 
and then and how much it meant to quality of life and, and how mm. prevalent it was. I mean, you know, I, I think uh, young, younger people feel oh, sex, that doesn't happen after 50. I can't even bear to think of my parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. etc. But of course it does. It's very prevalent. 60% of couples in Ireland are sexually active once a week, once every two weeks in, from our study. Well, I certainly would hope that in my older years that I would still be, you know, enjoying it. I don't want to uh, Studies from the States and Germany into your 80s and 90s, very active. And actually, and it's not sure which the direction of causality is in the next, my next statement, but, but people who are sexually active have much better attitudes towards aging and, and feel themselves to be younger than their chronological age. But it's not clear whether that's because they're sexually active or you know because they're that that because they're that's their attitude they yeah, are yeah, sexually yeah. active doesn't matter doesn't matter what the direction of causality is anyway it's possible b it becomes more difficult because of course of biological changes you know mucosae become drier etc um di- impotence becomes slightly more common in mm-hmm. men but that's okay all of those factors can be treated or addressed yeah Patients will say sometimes, I'm mortified, I can't talk to my GP about that. Your GP is trained to listen to that. I mean, you know, the amount of research that's gone into this area is limitless Mm -hmm. almost. So Mm -hmm. go, speak to somebody about it. And if they don't have an answer for you, then ask them to explore it or to get you to see somebody who does have an answer. This is a terribly important part of our lives and, and how dreadful that one wouldn't pursue it and, and feel the consequences of not pursuing it, actually, when it can be easily dealt with. It's amazing that as the years roll on, um, and I think it's all relative. So somebody in their 20s will see me as, as much older. Somebody in their 60s would see me as much younger. But definitely as the years roll on, and I am softer around the edges than I've ever been, um, I'm, I'm much more confident and comfortable in my skin now than I was as a far slimmer fitter 20 something and I am loving this new Mm. kind of freedom that comes with I suppose maturing Mm. realizing that being alive being well is such um, a privilege yeah and and I see it more and more with people how they just let their inhibitions go as years roll on and it's almost like I'd love to go back in time and have that chat with my younger oh, yeah, self. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, what can I say? Women particularly actually mature more and they don't care. There's, there's, mm. a, there's some great literature around this that they're not that they don't care in general, but they're not as hung up on things that gnawed at them, which were futile. Yes. The other thing I think we lack that's awfully important in this culture is intergenerational friends. I've been lucky to have, I have friends who are older than me and friends who are much younger than I am, um, mostly through my sons. I've, I've, I've come to know some of their, their friends and I value them. And it's, my God, they bring so much to my life and I think I do to theirs. Mm. But we don't do that that much in Ireland. You know, we're very much inclined to stick with our peer group. Um, in, in many ways, our peer group, both socioeconomically and demographically. I think we need to embrace friendship across generations because there'll be a huge lot of value, valuable transition, if we do that, of wisdom and shared experiences. Mm-hmm. You mentioned as well the importance of our attitudes. So this really comes back to how we feel about ourselves. Yeah. What we tell ourselves. Yes. 
you know, how we feel in our bodies because yes. for a lot of people it's something I have to personally battle against that inner critic, that negative voice in my head that looks in the mirror and sees what she doesn't like rather than what I actually have. First of all, make a list of all the good things about yourself. Mm-hmm. Everyone should do that every so often. That's yeah. really, really important and value that. And that's what I find about meditation. I do a little bit of meditation. I don't do nearly enough. But I, you know, don't, when you're meditating, somebody who was interviewing me said, oh, every time I try to meditate, all sorts of thoughts come into my head. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Look at that as exercise for your brain. Mm-hmm. They'll go. As they come in, you recognize them, get rid of them. And that's what it is. It's really good for your brain. You're just bringing Absolutely. And it helps. And do two to five minutes twice a day, we can afford that. Um, So, so all of the, I think, so just take it a step at a time and do things gently. We're inclined to be very hard on ourselves. Um, And then, and share, 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 share. If you share an experience with someone, like get a friend and say, okay, how about the two of us doing this for this two months? Makes it so much easier. And so, everything you've spoken about is looking at the physical, but also looking at, mentally what we can do and how we can improve our cognitive function but also on an emotional level on a human level that connection piece is vital which I'm so glad that you have you know explored so extensively in the book as well because I think for a lot of people they they don't think of that the importance of that aspect of it of you know connecting with friends making sure that you have that night out because you know we've been so starved of it over the past two years so maybe we all need a bit of a nudge in that direction I think as you said we've become a little bit rusty um, and some of us are a little bit fearful probably of getting back out there into society again after being told for so long to stay at home and we know that anxiety levels have increased during this time so we do need to go gently and kind of honour where we're at but also maybe slightly push ourselves out of our comfort zone that it will be beneficial if we do that. In terms of reaching out to other people, I would say. Make yeah. that, you know, something that, that takes, acknowledge it'll take extra effort and put that extra effort into it. Because mm. we all know that feeling when you come away from being with your friends, from having a good laugh, you feel so much better. You feel energised. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, there's great research on, uh, there's great research on laughter. Actually, there's fabulous research. Do you know, even animals laugh, even rats laugh. Mother rats tickle baby rats. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Laughter, laughter is again is we've evolved with laughter. It's a form of communication, of bonding. It's a form of bonding, and and if you think about laughter, there are lots of different types of laugh. I mean, the sort of laugh you'll have with your boss is very different to the to the heartfelt laugh you'll have with mates. Mm, you know. Mm. Um, having a good laugh is really good at a hormonal level. It releases lots of hormones that are good for brain function, but also physical function and the heart. And being silly, being childlike, allowing that to to be a part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never lose your childlike innocence, as they say. Professor Roseanne Kenny, thank you so much for your time. I know it's precious, so I really appreciate you being here today. Your book really is becoming a global phenomenon. It's been translated into many different languages. It's available worldwide. It is age-proof, the new science of living a longer and healthier life. It's a fascinating read, and I'm so grateful for you being here. You've given me a lovely interview. I enjoyed it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Ready To Be Real. If you're a fan of the podcast, please show your support by leaving a rating or a little comment on Apple. You can also click follow and rate on Spotify or you can share it with pals in real life or on social media. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.